I'm Pastor Bad. At least it wasn't bad, Pastor. So if you're visiting with us, we're studying uh, Paul's letter to the Roman church and the Christians there and newly converted Jews into Christianity and um, the Holy Spirit's word that applies not just to those in Rome, but applied to us today. And our study has been transforming faith into freedom and how the purpose of our faith, the faith of of being uh, followers of Jesus is a faith that ultimately brings us freedom. And that the Lord has said that who the Son has set free is free indeed. And uh, this book of Romans encourages us to experience that freedom through the application of our faith. And we have looked at how God has justified us and how God has put us in right standing with Himself and bringing us to the point of what does that abundant life that Christ promised look like, and how are we to operate within the Scriptures and experience a daily relationship with God. So let us hear the reading from Paul's 8th chapter, starting with the 26th verse, and we'll read all the way to the end of the chapter as we study God's Word. Hear the Word of God under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as given to Paul. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches the hearts knows what's in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that those who God loves, who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God who indeed intercedes for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Most gracious God, we thank you so much for this amazing love that you have immersed us in. As our brother John has said, you have lavished us in. 
May we, O God, richly be bathed in it this morning. And over the next two Sundays, Lord, may these Scriptures maybe take on a new and more deep meaning than we've ever thought of before. And may we be transformed in a new people by the power of Your Holy Spirit. O God, open ears that they may hear, eyes that may, may see. And Lord, let me be weak that, they may, that You may be strong. God, forgive the sins of the one who speaks. In Your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So the tendency is, um, sometimes when we read the Bible and hear sermons about the Bible or study the Bible, is we become very sort of punctiliar in the way that we view things, that we kind of look at pieces of Scriptures and think that those Scriptures are for that moment and it's the first time they've ever been heard in all of history. And when it comes to the, the Bible, that's, that's really not the way that we should look at it. The way that we should understand the Bible is that it is 66 individual books, but they are 66 individual books that are telling one unified redemptive story. And that each one builds upon the other to bring us to a point so that we may take things from that and remember that. And one of these is the point of we have secure, we have a sovereignly, sovereign security that all of us have received to follow Christ. And because of that sovereign security, there's no need for us to feel disconnected or isolated or fearful as we walk through life. In fact, Quite the opposite is expected of us, that we are to be courageously um, a courageous people, that we are to face boldly this life and with freedom in this life, all of the things that come with this life, because we are so sovereignly secure in what God has done for us. Some almost 40 years ago, February the 23rd, 1980. There was a 23-year-old young man and a 20-year-old young woman who stood before 500 witnesses and two pastors and said their vows one to another, that they would love each other and give themselves to one another and to the Lord for the rest of their lives until death do they part. That couple has experienced a lot of ups and downs and some pretty significant trials and some pretty significant victories. But now some 40 years, I look back where Lee and I were in those innocent and sweet little promises that we made. And I have found where God over that 40 years has brought a richness and a depth and a deeper understanding of our commitment that we gave to one another in a way we never could have realized when we were just 20-somethings. And that God's security and His holding our bond together was by the power of His Holy Spirit. And how we look back at a promise every year that was made on February the 23rd and we rejoice in it to this day where we look back and we see the security of that promise in our own relationship even today. And truly, it is easy to say that we love each other with a depth and a gravity to our love that is much deeper than that day we took those vows. 
in a very real way. That's what Paul is saying for you and I to see in this 8th chapter and in these verses. That there was a deeper promise even than marital promise, even than a matrimonial promise. And it was the promise that God had made to His friend Abraham. Way back in the 15th chapter of Genesis, where He told Abraham, Fear not, Abram. I will be your shield. And I will be your great reward. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. And here we see Paul saying, in this 26th verse, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. This is the why of why we should feel so secure. Is because the promise that God made to Abram back in the 15th chapter, that he would be his shield, that he would be his great reward, was fully realized in the coming of Christ and the ascension of Christ who sends us the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, incarnate to indwell within us so that truly Emmanuel, God with us, is fulfilled. And Paul writes here, understand this. The Holy Spirit is the one who resides in you to protect you, to love you, to comfort you, to teach you, to keep pointing back to the promise that God made. So you will always know the faithfulness of God in the promises that He's made to you. Sometimes it takes time and space for us to look back and see what God has done. Sometimes it takes time and space for us to realize the depth of the promises that are made. And Paul encourages us in these chapters that God kept a promise to an old friend named Abraham so that the promise would be realized in you and I, his new friends and followers in Christ Jesus. That millenniums have passed since that promise and since that promise and through those millenniums, God has been faithful to come into His people's life and to pray for them in the way that they should even be prayed for even when they're too helpless to pray for themselves in the way that they should. And all of that leads up into this 31st verse of what shall we say to these things. All of that leads up to, we should look back to and see God has been completely faithful throughout the generations. God was completely faithful in sending the seed that all nations would be blessed by in Jesus Christ. That God was completely faithful that He would give His Son on Mount Moriah. That He would be the sacrifice, the true Lamb. That Abram could keep his firstborn because God the Father was going to give His firstborn. And that God would keep that promise of giving His firstborn so that through His firstborn, all that would believe would have life. And not just life in the flesh, but something greater than life in the flesh, but eternal life in the Spirit that is renewed in Christ Jesus and born again. Only to be reconnected with a glorified flesh to live forever on a new earth.
And it's in that time frame that we see the, the temporal nature of that which is decaying and that which is dying and begin to see the eternal promise that God gave us and the eternality of our relationship with Him forever and ever. Because God kept a promise to an old friend, we see the resulting securities that we are blessed with today by asking this question and answering this rhetorical question of, what then shall we say to these things? Is that not the question that every believer should be asking every non-believer that looks at their life? Is that not the statement question of every believer's life? What should we say about these things? What should we say about what God has done for us in the past? What would we, what should we say about how God has been faithful to us? How should our life give a statement to the world of the greatness and the glory and the faithfulness of God to us? What does our life speak is what Paul is asking. It's a question for each of us this morning in the pews in which we sit. What is my life speaking about what God has done for me? You may not realize it. You may not even think about it. But within these pews and within these halls, I promise you, there's someone who doesn't believe in this room. There's someone searching in this room. There's someone asking questions in this room. There's someone watching in this room. And what they're asking, what they're watching for is the answer to this. What shall we say about these things? What do you speak about these things? And what are these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? It's the resulting securities that everyone who follows Christ has. He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also graciously give us all things? If God is for us and He gave Christ for us, then how will He spare? Any, how will He not give us everything that is in Christ? Well, the reality is this, isn't it? Hard things come into our lives. Trials come into our lives. Problems come into our lives. Paul's not saying, listen, live a life of denial. Whatever the doctor has told you your prognosis is, just live in a life of denial. That's not at all what Paul is saying. Whatever's happening in the in the boardroom, in the schoolroom, whatever's going on in the in the in the living room of your life. It may be hard, it may be trials, it may make you feel separate, it may make you feel isolated, it may make you feel alone. Paul's not saying those things don't happen. What Paul is saying to the Christian is, get it in perspective. Don't let it disable you, don't let it frighten you, don't don't think that you're alone in this. Because if He is for you, who can be against you? It's sort of a silly question. It's a question that God says to the believer, get it in perspective. If I'm for you, I'm greater than what's going against you. If I am for you, there's nothing that can defeat you. And the ultimate fear, the ultimate thing, the ultimate event in life that we conquer is this event we call death. 
And God says, even death, I am greater than even death. Don't be afraid because I'm for you. Death cannot be against you. You are free from the confines and the estranglement of what death would bring. Because God, through Christ on the cross, has strengthened and defeated death and strengthened you and I to overcome it by the power of His own resurrection. Paul would later say in Ephesians that the very power that indwells you and I, that very promise that God made to Abraham about being with His people, that Holy Spirit power that is within us, is the same power that resurrected Christ from the grave. And it's inside of every single one who follows Christ as their Lord and their Savior. And it's in the light of that that God says, go into your doctor's appointment. Go into your boss's office. Go into your home. Go into your marriage. Go into anything that challenges you with a perfect understanding that God goes with you and has defeated it. And if God be for you, then who can be against you? But it's not an empty promise. It's not a promise that God says, just believe that blindly. No, He points to His Son. He points to the work of His Son. I've read these verses at least a thousands, in the thousands of times. And they've always struck me warmly. They've always given me a, a sort of a spiritual warm fuzzy. He who did not spare His own Son, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? And I've always looked at those verses from my perspective, the receiving end of it. And rightfully, that's part of it. But lately in the study of these Scriptures, I'm seeing the perspective of God's end of it. Don't you see what Paul is saying? The guarantee to the promise of, if God is for you, who can be against you? Because God gave His everything. The Father gave up His everything. He gave up His child. He gave up His Son. He gave up His Son's reputation. He gave up His Son's glory. That He might give you and I everything. It's not an empty promise that God has made that whoever, what can be against you if He's for you. It's a promise that's secure and sealed and signed in the blood of His Son that said, I gave you my everything. Don't you see what I've done? Don't you look at what I've done over the years? Don't you look over the millenniums and all the promises that I've made? Don't you look at the exclamation point of those promises, my son Jesus Christ, and how I turn him over to be crucified for you? I have given you all things so that you might graciously get all things in him. Those who have received all of Christ 
are able to stand with all of Christ and say, if God is for me, then who or what can be against me? There's no deeper resulting security than knowing that God has blessed you by incarnating you with His Spirit and giving you His Son. You see, the cost guarantees the resulting value. The price paid guarantees the value received. There's no higher price in the universe paid than the price of the Son of uh, the price of the Son of God. Therefore, there can be no higher price for you or value for you to receive than that which God has paid for with the life of His Son. And so Paul says this. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Once again, there are people who can mouth off. There's people who can say all sorts of things about us. There are people that can insult us. There's people that can say they're no good. There's people that can try to ruin our reputations. There's people who will belittle us, for sure. There's people who will say we're idiots. There's people who say all sorts of things about any of us. But worst of all, we have an enemy in hell that tells us this can't be true. And he'll list the reasons why this cannot be true. Some of you may not even know, but the name Satan actually means accuser. But you see what Christ has done by His work as He's taken every meaning and every worth of accusation and obliterated it on the cross that He died on. And that every accusation against you as you follow Him has been wiped clean. The blade has been taken out of the knife handle. There's nothing a knife without a blade can do to you. The bullets have been taken out of the gun. There is no weapon forged against you and I that has any strength or any meaning, especially the tongue of the accuser. For Christ has emptied it and taken all of its lethal weight away so that you and I can stand before God. It is God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? As Christ has done this, we stand before God fearlessly. Because our fear of punishment, our fear of rejection, our fear of of not being true, and all of the fears that we might bring to God have been wiped clean. As John would say, in perfect love, fear is cast out so that we might be courageously comforted before the throne of God because of what He has given us in Christ Jesus. Do you feel that way? 
Is that what you say about these things? That I have a life that has resulted in great security because of what God has promised and fulfilled in His Son Christ on my behalf? Is that the statement of your life to the world? Is that what you and I communicate to that world outside? It was about this time, 32 years ago, that Lee and I were in the doctor's office to hear the doctor say, I don't think your child is going to make it. We can't find a heartbeat. We went home that night, we prayed, we prayed hard, God, please. To no avail, it was not God's will. The child now resides with Him. People said all sorts of comforting words to us. And over time, the comfort came. But there were moments and days that went by where we felt the sting of loss. The onslaught of questions. The wonderings. The whys. And certainly the pain of losing a child. We will see that child again. But it brings to mind every time I think about it the love of a sovereign father. Who wantingly and and with determination chose along with the will of His Son to send His Son to die so that you and I might know what it truly means to live. But God doesn't say wait. He doesn't say wait to the end of time to see the promise true. He says only look to Easter morning. Three days later, it was the only morning period that we would ever see because three days later, He rose and lives and reigns with all authority in heaven and on earth so that you and I might know who controls us sovereignly, who keeps us sovereignly, who watches over every detail of our life with His great sovereign power, to know that we can live with confident courage as the people of God Because our life is so secure because this is what we say about those things. Sort of the why is this promise kept. The what is the securities that we get. And the who is the victorious love in verse 37. 
Actually, it starts in 35. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution, famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep for the slaughter. But no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. See, Paul says there's real hardness here. There's real harshness in this world. This world is going to hell. And this world is going to burn. But you are not. Because the love that God has for you and the love that God has for me has conquered anything that would come to steal His love from us. You see what he's saying? He's saying this, you're now inseparable. You and God are now unable to uncouple. You are unable to separate away. Christ is so intrinsically in you by the Holy Spirit that you will never be let go. And what's more, you will never be able to let go. Because what Christ has done, all these things that come against us are hot air, but they will not burn. It's just blustery wind coming on our way home. Because we have been loved with a conquering love, we have sovereign security. In 1987, in the Detroit airport, a Northwest airline went down. And in the rubble of the crash, they found a little four-year-old girl named Cecilia. Originally, they thought Cecilia must have been in one of the cars that the plane had run over and was passed downward. She didn't have many scratches or scrapes about her, but she was all alone and crying until they realized she actually was part of the plane crash. And what had happened, her mother Paula had unstrapped herself in the middle of the plane crash, got on her knees in front of her little daughter and wrapped her and held her tightly with her own arms so that there would be no harm that would come in the crash to her daughter. Don't you see that's what Jesus has done for you and I? That He has wrapped us in the robe of His righteousness. That we are secure within the arms, the strong arms, the strongest arms of the universe. None stronger, none more powerful, none more engulfing, none more warm, none more secure that every believer is wrapped in this robe with these arms that come around us held tightly to the chest of Christ. And there's no other place that can provide such security and such courage than being embraced in the protecting and loving and kind and courageous arms of Christ. 
What shall we say about these things? So what are the so what? The applications? God has made promises from the time of Genesis. From the third chapter in Genesis, God promised redemption. And over the millenniums, He has constantly been unveiling that promise being kept over and over and over again, culminating in Christ, culminating in the indwellment of the Holy Spirit, culminating in the power that every believer lives with. The power that each of us who follow Christ have the availability to, by faith, to trust in and to utilize. Paul says, start trusting in those promises that are made to you. Quit shirking back from the places in the Scripture where God has promised to do something, where God has promised to behave towards you in a certain way, where God has promised to come through for you and for I. And quit shirking back from that and figuring out how does the world have a better solution? How does the world have a better answer? How do I have a better answer? As Paul would say in the, or Isaiah would say in his 50th chapter, quit lighting your own torches and allow God to illuminate your path. Quit trying to figure the future out and trust in the one who holds the future. And in doing so, rest. Enter into the Sabbath that is provided for you. Many of us think that Jesus cried in, in Gethsemane and the sweat came down and tears with blood and sweat with blood that Christ was doubting. It's not what was happening. Christ was sweating over receiving the wrath of God for you. The undiluted, powerful wrath and anger of God against sin and rebellion was received on your behalf so that you never have to sweat again. And He, he overcame it and He was victorious so that you might have rest. And He offers the invitation many places in Scripture to enter into that rest. And you see, as you and I enter into that rest, that is what we say about these things. Our life speaks. We're at peace. We are at shalom because of what God has done. And then finally, we should start enjoying life. Because we're the object of His affections. Maybe you've never been the object of anyone's affection before. Maybe you've wondered if you ever could be. Maybe you've wondered if you're pretty enough or you're rich enough or you're successful enough. But the cross cries out loudly. God gave His everything 
on your behalf that you might receive everything because you are the object of his affections. For those who God foreknew, He also predestined that they might be conformed to the image of His Son. Don't you understand before there was a star in heaven? Before there was a planet in a a solar system? That you were in the heart and the mind of God to be created for a time such as this. To hear the call such as this. To know the love of God such as this. That you might be secure such as this. So that you might say this about those things and live a life of sovereign security. To the glory of God. God has covered you. And He will never abandon you. Let's pray.